talking movies. We're talking Goodfellas. Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Nicholas Pileggi, and I just butchered his name. Also written by Martin Scorsese, based on the book Wise Guys by Nicholas Pileggi. Starring Ray Liotta, Robert De Niro, Joe Pesci, and Lorraine Brockman. So Chris, did you know as far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster? <laughs> I thought you might say that, and what I have to say is, now go home and get your fucking shine box. <laughs> All right, so today we're going to be talking about the 1990 film Goodfellas. And before we jump into it, Scott, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping here. Uh, this movie is 30 years old, so if you haven't seen it, I mean, that, that's a whole lot of your own fucking problem. Uh, we will try and say spoiler alert, but again, you should have seen it. If you haven't, these podcasts will always have spoilers in them. When we're dealing with new films, though, we will be very conscious about doing a spoiler alert comment before moving on. That said, all right, 1990s, Goodfellas, Martin Scorsese, Gangsters. What do you have to say on this, Scott? Well, the thing, when we started, when you came to me and were like, let's do this podcast, this was one of the films you wanted to to talk about the most, right? Like, I, I enjoy the film. I like the film, right? But it's not like one I rewatch or it's just on the list of movies I've seen, right? I'm sure there's fucking like film classes and in whatever film school that people like study this film. I'm more of a popcorn guy. I like popcorn movies. So I enjoy the film. I think it's well done, but you know, it's not on any of my top lists of movies I need to see or want to see. Wow. Okay. Uh, a lot to unpack there. So first off, I, I agree. So I was actually talking to our producer before we started the show about how there's so much content on this film. Everybody's got an opinion, whether it's a critic or like you said, a film school person or a prof or whatever. So it, it, it gets kind of hard to have kind of your own voice on this show. Uh, sorry, on this film. Uh, that said... But on I, the show too, I got to agree with you all the time. What's that? <laughs> My own voice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, but man, I would say that like... Okay, so this is a Martin Scorsese film. It's his 12th film. I think, and I know there's other people out here that will agree, and definitely some that will disagree. I think this is one of his best films, if not his best films, depending on how you want to approach that classification. So, first off, are you a Scorsese guy? Like, if we start rattling off films, are you going to be able to keep pace here? or? To be honest, I, I do not worship at the altar of Scorsese, right? I think he's a good director, fair enough, but, fair enough. but like he's not he's not must see for me, right? Like I haven't seen The Irishman yet, right? Like I have, I, I, I can save you the time. It's really long, and if you watch any of the other movies I'm going to reference, they're better. So there you go. <laughs> you don't you don't need to see The Irishman. And if you disagree with that statement, fuck you and hit us up on Twitter. Anyway, keep sorry, Scott. I, I cut you off there. Cock. <laughs> Thanks, you asshole. But yeah, like I, th- I do like I appreciate 
his his career, his filmography. I appreciate everything he does uh, for c- cinema, but he's not in my top ten for directors. Like he's not one that I need to go see right away. Right now, saying that, like how you're saying one of his better films for me. I actually like his next film that he made after this a lot more than Goodfellas. Like, I like Kate Fear a lot more than Goodfellas. Eh, wrong answer, but we can definitely talk about that at a later time when we talk either about Cape Fear or Scorsese, because I got a whole lot of opinions on fucking Cape Fear. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> uh, but yeah, fair enough. Like, um, okay, do you like the genre, like the crime gangster genre? Oh, yeah, genre? like fucking Godfather top, right? Like... For me, Donnie Brasco. I, I That's actually a fantastic like, film. I, and I like Brasco more than this one. Uh, they're right? almost kind of similar, I would say, in the sense that they're not the, like, big glitz, like, say, Casino or something like that. They're kind of, like, about the mob in their cities, doing what mob guys do every day. There's a lot more just, like, regular stuff, you know, like uh, in Donnie Brasco where Al Pacino's, like, cooking dinner, right? And you see his son and his son's an addict. Oh, sorry. Spoiler, spoiler alert. Um, and the same within Goodfellas, right? He's making uh, he's making meatballs for his brother, and you see them with their kids, and they're going on vacation. So it's like the day in the they're they're very much day in the life of gangster gangster films. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like if you've never seen this movie, just consider this technically a open casting call. For Sopranos, because that's all majority of Sopranos is on here, like all the actors and it's same kind of style where it's like in the life kind of thing. Like the one thing I did appreciate with this movie that you don't see a lot of is where you have like the tracking shots and it's just literally them having their own little conversations like in everyday life. Right. If they're in the restaurant, two people are chit chatting, one person's ordering Right. It's just like this is real life. It's not just kind of here's a line. Everybody's waiting for the line delivery for it. Everybody's doing their own thing. But then coming out with the juxtaposition, like what's the actual story to continue? Right? Yeah. And so if I if I can understand what you're saying, it, it seems very conversational. It seems mm-hmm. very real and not forced and unscripted. Right. So it's because it's not. Um, a lot of improv was done. Uh, Martin Scorsese would basically run kind of improv sessions. The, char- the actors would get together and their characters, and they would just run the. They would run that scene, and it would all be recorded. And then Scorsese would go back and he would take sections out of it, and then it would get put into the script. And it's okay. So we're going to talk about if you haven't seen Goodfellas, there's a really famous scene in Goodfellas that has to do with Joe Pesci and Ray Liotta. And basically, Leota is saying, he's listening to this story, and he's like, oh, you're a funny guy. And then Pesci, who's a bit of a, a head case named Tommy, he's like, oh, I'm funny, like funny like a clown. And they go back and forth, back and forth, and the table goes quiet. And everyone thinks, like, he's going to lose his mind, and he's going to, like, shoot Ray, Ray Leota's character, Henry Hill. And then at the very end, they're like, ah, I got you, I, ah, you know, and it's, it's a big joke. So first off... That story is a real story in a a version of that is a real story. Joe Pesci was working as a waiter and this wise guy, like a a real New York gangster was like telling the story and he had made a comment about like, Hey, you're, you're a funny guy. And the, the, the wise guy did not 
think what he was saying was funny. And he made those kind of responses back. So in one of these improv sessions, Joe Pesci and them are workshopping this and Scorsese likes it. So he's like, yeah, you guys work together. So him and Leota work on this, but the rest of the cast sitting around the table, some of which, by the way, are real New York gangsters. They had a bunch of real New York gangsters as like extras, like background and minor, minor characters. So they're all sitting and they're, they're, they know there's this conversation between the two characters and then it gets like super dark and super heavy. And if you watch it, the reactions are real reactions because everyone's kind of, you know, put off balance, but like, what's going on here? Like, why is this so unscripted and out of control? So again, that realism comes from the fact that they're like in character and they're acting in a real way and they're not being um, confined by their scripts. Yeah, like from what I I read online, you know, and everything online is true. Uh, Henry Hill himself said that Joe Pesci was like 98% accurate with his depiction of Tommy, right? The only difference was apparently Tommy was like super muscular and shit like that, right? And Joe Pesci is not. Hey. <laughs> fucking mess with Leo Getz, man. <laughs> but go ahead. Yeah, so again, like what you said about the what, that's how he got that kind of converse, conversational aspect of it. Um and a lot of and that and then a lot of stuff actually just comes from Hours and hours of taping of the real Henry Hill taken from evidence to give. Oh, by the way, he's a rat. You also find that out. So spoiler alert. Uh, Testimony he gave uh, in trials and stuff. So although that part would be scripted, it's real because it's not made up words. It's literally like the way this guy talks. Uh, Ray Liotta used to drive into the set every day and just listen to tapes of him talking to the author and so he could really get a feel of like how he speaks and how he delivers his words and his lines and stuff mm-hmm. like that, which I think is really interesting. Actually, on that note, um, there's a scene. So at the end of the film, there's a scene where basically Henry Hill and his wife have to go into witness protection. And the agent is like, OK, this is what we're offering. And he's like, I don't want to go anywhere cold, blah, 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 blah. So that's not even an actor. They use the real federal agent that originally got Henry Hill into witness protection to play himself in the movie, which I think is great. And he definitely pulls it off. Like you, you believe him to be uh, a federal agent because he is one. Well, yeah. So he's not really pulling it off. He's just, you know, he's cameoing. Sure. Sure. Yeah. He's cameo, (laughs) but he seems very natural. Like he doesn't, he, he doesn't seem uh, nervous or, you know, unfamiliar with his setting, which you would assume that someone who doesn't have any acting experience might have those issues or whatever. So, yeah. Um, but so do you like the film in general? Or no, I do. Like, I man- do like it. Like it, it is a good movie. Right. But it's not like I have, I have movies that like I'll rewatch constantly. Right. Like, and this isn't one of them. This one really, it's like, if, if it's on like in the TV, like, okay, I'll sit down and watch it. But I never, I never really, like, seek this movie out. Like, fuck, I need to watch Goodfellas, right? Like, I can be like, fuck, I need to watch E.T. Or, fuck, I need to watch Back Back into the Future, right? But, like, with this one, it's just, like, it's on. It is good, right? Like, my favorite favorite scene with the whole, like, it's natural stuff is that one long tracking shot of him 
and Lorraine going into the thing, right? The Copacabana, yeah. Yeah, like I love when he just fucking bumps into that fucking table. Yep. But just keeps on going because he's like, fuck, I'm not going to make him say cut. <laughs> I'm just going to keep on going, right? And then at the end, you can see where it kind of like doesn't become really like them weaving because once they go into the Copacabana, it's spaced out. So that way it makes it easier for the camera to like come in. But but I love that scene, just the weaving and outing. Like, So that's a that's a super, super famous uh like cinematography shot like it's beautiful it's uh been referred to as almost like a short film in a short film because you have minor like little characters when he starts talking to people as he's mm-hmm. on his way in it's referred to as like seducing her and seducing henry by the culture and it's beautiful it's a beautiful beautiful shot uh something i was reading about today when they go into the kitchen if you if you pay attention you realize they actually just go in the kitchen and do a big circle and then come out of the kitchen and into uh, the like the dance floor, the floor space, or the ballroom or whatever. Yeah, they go in, left, right, right, left. Yeah, they go in a circle in the kitchen. And the reason they did that was because the lighting is so good in there. It allowed them to have this like really beautiful shot with the lighting that already existed. And if you're not paying attention, you don't realize it. Like you just, you're, you're really caught. It really draws you in. It's, it is, it is one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. Um, okay. So is that your favorite scene? Yeah. Like for me, I like that. I also like the um, opening technically when they're adults and he's like, everybody's asleep except for, uh, Ray Liotta when they're oh, I, I'm blanking on his name but when they're the guy in the trunk and yeah, he's yeah, like yeah, yeah. he's like they're both asleep and then he's like did I hear something he wakes them up did I hear something you mean like Billy Bats when Billy yeah. Bats is in the trunk and the, the, you're talking that opening shot yes right and you hear that like boom boom boom, 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 boom. and he's like is did you get a flat did, did you hit an animal or something like that well it's just Ray Liotta if you pay attention Pesci and De Niro are asleep right yeah he wakes them up like, I think I heard something. I think I heard something, right? And then they kind of hear like, okay, you got to pull over just to, to, to see. And then, yeah, like for me, like that's a really good opening shot in terms of it sucks you in because you don't know. It's a cold open. You don't know what's going on and why that guy is in the truck. And obviously they kill him, stab him, and then it opens up with the as far back as I can remember, right? But that, but those two scenes kind of cultivate, like, for me, what he's trying to convey and communicate. It's just up close, real, and you're just following this guy's life. Like, with the whole narration and everything, everything's just pinpointed, like, point to point, year to year, right? Yeah, and by using that cold opening, you're sort of like, the mo- like you've, first you've got, like, the way everything starts with the credits. It's like, room room and then yet you have that cold opening and suddenly you've got like a body and then Joe Pesci stabbing a guy then you have that Mm. shot of uh, Leota the narration about like my whole life all of his wanted to be as a gangster and then you're back to like what 1955 or something so you're like you're in you're like you're in this film and you're like okay like where are we how did that happen and you know that this thing is going to be about gangsters because he's like my whole life all I've ever wanted to be was a gangster. And then we get to see that progression. And it's it's awesome. And it sucks you in. And 
Scorsese talks about how he wanted this film to kind of go off like a gun or a bullet and and be intense the whole way through. And this is one of of the reasons I really like this film. So this film's like, I think it's like two and a half hours long. Yeah. And it does not feel like that. And as Scotty knows, often when I come, so I, so first off, I do not pray at the altar of Scorsese. I think he's a very respectable. You can't fucking steal my line. Come up with no, your no, own I, line. That's what I mean. I'm, I'm taking it from you um, in the sense that I'm going to comment on that is the fact that I don't pray at his altar. I really like Scorsese. I think he's done some really good work and he's really important to filmmaking. Um, and I just don't, I think he may be past his prime. I'm sure I'm going to take a bunch of flack for that. That's fine. Fuck off. Um, but this film is like kind of the best example of what like Scorsese does best. You know what I mean? Like he uses like nonlinear format. He's got like music all over the place and Oh, back to the, yeah, I know where I was going with this. So it's a two and a half hour film. And often I've commented that like, I sit down and I watch a Scorsese film and that includes like the big ones, like mean streets and taxi driver and these things that people go like and raging bull. And I'm like, man, these movies feel long, even if they're not long, they feel long, but Goodfellas, which is long, like two and a half hours is a good solid amount of time. And man, you're in that thing the whole time. Like they're using jump cuts. They're using cool music. There's cars, there's guns, there's girls, there's drugs. And it's like, it's this go, 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 go. And even the way his story arc goes, right? You start in like 1955 and he's an up and comer. He's, well, he's a kid. And by the end, he's like coked out. He's high on methamphetamines. You know, I'm seeing helicopters and stuff. <laughs> and you, he, Scorsese makes you feel edgy the way he does. Mm-hmm. Like when he's sitting in his car and he's smoking cigarettes and he's like looking out the window, freaking out, all paranoid. Like it's such a great trip. And at no point... This is the kind of film that back when we would like watch TV, especially on a Sunday, Mm -hmm. if it came on, if you caught, if I caught the first seven minutes, the middle 12 minutes or something like that, I'm watching the whole movie. It's going to suck me right in. Yeah. Like this was like for me, this movie still affects me in a way that for two and a half years now, I've been smoke free. Like I haven't quit smoking, but every time I. Like, I put on this movie like I want a cigarette. Like, the amount of fucking chain smoking. Like, I could smell the cigarettes. Like, it does make me be like, fuck, okay, I I can go for one, right? Like, just watch one, right? Like, but he, in terms, like, he is. Like, he is a good director, and he has done a lot for cinema, right? And the writing on it, I, I think with him being a part of that writing, like, he should get credit for that as well. Not just like he, you could tell, like he has this most likely was a passion project. Most likely like he had a vision for this movie from go. Right. And he, he just implemented his, his vision just pretty much fucking just jerked off. And like, there so you go. I'm going to, I'm just going to jump in there. Cause that, that the passion project thing. So Scorsese originally thought he wouldn't do another gangster film. He read this book. So he calls up Pelleggi and he says, I've been waiting my whole life for this book. And Pelleggi says, I've been waiting my whole life for this call. So again, and we've talked about this, like when directors get these great opportunities and stuff, or 
uh, like the director of uh, Greyhound, where you get that call from, you know, do you want to work on talking? So you're chilling at home and Martin Scorsese calls you up and goes, oh my God, I love your book. And you're like, oh my God, I love you as a director. Like, yeah, like what a great way to get to collaborate with someone. And I mean, they both share writing credits for the screenplay, mm-hmm. um, which got nominated for an Academy Award. So this film got nominated for Best Picture, Best Director, Best Adapted Screenplay, Best Editing, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress. So do you know, so Best Picture, Best Director, Best Editing, and Best Screenplay all went to the same film. Do you know what that film was? Do it, I would have been the, it would have been in 1991, the Oscars, because the film came out in 1990. Ghost. So close. So best supporting actress went to Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost. Which I, I don't said. know how Brocco didn't get that and lost out to Whoopi Goldberg. Joe Pesci did win. He won the Oscar for first supporting. Yeah. Dances with fucking wolves. As I was doing my research for this, I was like, oh wow, it won for best picture. Oh, okay. And best director for Kevin Costner. But also editing and adapted screenplay. I was like, really? All of those categories? Like, how do you give Kevin Costner the best director over fucking Martin Scorsese ever in anything? I'm trying. It's been years since I've seen Dances with the Wolves. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I've seen Goodfellas probably more times in this year than I've seen Dances with Wolves ever. Yeah, but that doesn't make goodfellas like dancing with the wolves i don't know not. man i think i think i've got pretty good taste in cinema so no but what i'm saying it doesn't make it not um worthy or, or, or however like, well i hey mate, we could always we could always watch dances with wolves no, and i don't have four hours in my life do a podcast on it <laughs> see yeah, you're so unjazzed to watch the film <laughs> and yet i, I, I think it is four hours isn't wolves. It? it's but close even, but even that best supporting actress i was like Really, Whoopi Goldberg for Ghost, but it's she funny. She did that, good. Yeah, Ghost. Ghost was on a ton of lists too. Ghost was number one. Ghost was number one movie of 1990. It grossed the most. Really? Yeah. Man, Goodfellas was 38. Yeah, in, in as far as like how much money it made, right? Yeah, in terms of like annual growth. Yeah, like. But but for, you know what? You know what? Ghost is not. Ghost is not on the AFI's top 100 list. This 92. Uh, you know what? I should have looked up. Here, you got your phone. Do you want to look up what is a ghost score on Rotten Tomatoes? Because, and actually, you know what? Don't look up just ghost. ghost. Look up uh, Dances with Wolves because I don't think it's also on the AFI list. And Goodfellas has a 96% rating on Rotten Tomatoes today, like as of when I checked today. And I'm just going to keep talking while you look that up or whatever. Um, yeah, I just think this is a really fabulously shot film. It's still very, very current. It's very, very watchable. It's got great cinematography. As I've said, it's got great music. Uh, there's so many just like really amazing scenes. Um, one of my favorite scenes, obviously, I love that Copacabana scene. I love that opening, uh, that cold opening. But there's a scene early when Henry Hill, so Leota's character, stands up Lorena Bracco's uh karen she he stands her up and she makes tommy go look for him and she gets out of the fucking car and she's just screaming at him like how dare you you know how rude and then and he's like so kind of turned on about this really strong yeah. woman and he's like he's like whoa whoa whoa, whoa. And he's like let me let me take you out let me tell you she's like she's like 
I'll think about it. It's going to, it's going to cost you or whatever. And just that, like that power, it's such a powerful performance. Like the car pulls over and she's like, bang. And she's out and she's just on him in front of all his buddies. Anyway, did you get those numbers? Okay. Hold on. So you, what do you, what do you give me rotten tomatoes ghost. Okay. I'm searching ghost right now. Hold on. Okay. So the reason that's why I kept talking is because well, anybody dances with, the okay. Wolves so give me already. dances with wolves. Okay. So dances with the wolves. Uh, 83% thermometer, 87 for audience scores. Okay, so we win that one. And you're going to look up Ghost 2 or what? Yeah, I'm looking. Well, the problem when I look up Ghost, it's fucking every movie that starts with Ghost, right? So, um, there, and you talked about um, The Sopranos and how this is basically like a, kind of the first run for some of these actors that go on to be in Sopranos. So I believe the actor that plays uh, Billy Bats, Frank Vincent, he's, I'm, he's, he's in Casino, but I'm pretty sure he's in The Sopranos. Um, Michael Imperioli, who plays Spider, who gets shot and then murdered. Um, he plays Christopher in The Sopranos. And then, of course, um, Lorena Bracco plays uh, his um, psychiatrist. All right, you got those numbers? No, Ghost is not on. Okay, you know what? It's not that important. We're, we can uh, we can move on or whatever. Um, so yeah, this film did not too bad. It me it was twenty five million dollar budget and it grossed forty six point eight uh, in today's dollars. That's about fifty two million to and it made ninety seven million. So not bad, you know, kind of almost double. That's uh, as we talked about in our last po- podcast. If you can make a film and make back your money and a little bit more, that's that's always a good thing. Um, other than so, is there any other things you want to talk about in this film? Or yeah, like in terms of IMDb, it's rated number seventeen. We went through that, right? Mm-hmm. So the thing that I think is funny. So this finished nineteen ninety. Yep. The total domestic gross was thirty seven million. Okay. That's a fucking weekend now. Yeah, nowadays. Well, and that's why when I give mine, I usually calculate for inflation. So but how, again, much, again, how much would inflation be right now? Like well, how? it's the problem is, is we can't just do inflation because that's what the dollar is worth. But we just have more people, right? Like there's just more. And more theaters. Exactly. So there's more opportunities and more people, more people to go out and actually make that money. Um, yeah. So you like the Copa scene. Is there anything else? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to talk about in this film? No, no, like for, that's the thing. Like you wanted to talk about this movie really bad, right? And I, w- I was expecting like you were, you gave me a thesis on this fucking movie about how amazing it is and why this movie is what it is. Okay. And I did not get that. Okay. I'm a little, I'm a little <laughs> upset. Like, well, uh, you know what? That's fine. That's fine. I, I, so I really thought I wasn't going to have was, to talk There was, there was like today. a huge <laughs> attention to detail working on this film. So. And I should have probably talked about this earlier. So the book Wise Guy is based on the life of Henry Hill from about 1955 to 1980, who was like a New York gangster, hang around, you know, kind of low level guy. Uh, And he worked directly with the author to write this book. And even De Niro, when he was cast in this role, who actually, do you know that the role of um, James Conaway or Jimmy the Gent was originally offered to Al Pacino. No. And he turned it down to be in Dick Tracy because he didn't want to be typecast as a gangster. It's like, 
wow, you turned down Goodfellas and you ended up doing the movie Dick Tracy. Which he was a gangster in Dick he Tracy. He was a dick, yeah, but he was like a cartoon version of a gangster. Yes, he was the bad um, But Dick Tracy grossed more money than Goodfellas. Yeah, but I mean, come on. This this is a this is a regular film. Dick Tracy is garbage. Um <laughs> Robert De Niro. On Warren Beatty. <laughs> what's that? Again, we can we can talk about that after. Uh, Robert De Niro talked to Henry Hill multiple times a day. Just so to obviously, out- this guy wasn't in witness protection. If he was in witness protection, <laughs> that's people the thing. are talking about him. Yeah, he was in him. witness protection, and he would like call the author and get him put in put in touch with like De Niro and stuff like that. Um, he actually ended up getting kicked out of witness protection because he got busted doing like drug deals and a bunch of other stuff. And he couldn't, he just couldn't, he couldn't stay hidden. He was too used to being like a, like a big deal or whatever. Right. So, um, sorry, my, when you're talking about other scenes, I, this just literally popped into my head. The one other scene I did like was the gun gun to really Oda's head when Lorraine Brocker founds out about. The, the mistress. Yeah, yeah. They shoot it like he opens his eyes and there's the revolver like right in his face. You know what yeah. I mean? And if I'm not mistaken from what I remember watching it, the gun changed color twice. The close up, the gun was black. Wide shots, the gun was silver. But if I'm not, if I'm wrong, then maybe I should get my eyes checked. I might be colorblind. But the other thing was after he knocked her out, like knocked her off. Like calmed her down, knocked her off when she's just like lying on the floor screaming, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And then fucking people coming to like, just think about this gangster movie or not. If your wife fucking put a gun to your head and your two best friends come to you, be like, you got to come back to her while you're with your mistress. Like, would you go back? Well, in that situation, you don't have a chance. Cause remember, um, Paul Cicero, uh, which was played by uh, Paul Servino, he's like, what? You're not going to get a divorce. Like, that's just not how things are done. That's just, you got to keep up appearances, right? Like, you, hey, no one's saying you have to go back now, but maybe go down to Florida. We do this thing and then you go back and make nice and blah, 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 blah. So that's just the way it is, right? Like, and she talks about that, you know, like everything's done together. They go on trips together. There's no outsiders or whatever. Um, yeah, but when they you do at the end of the movie when they did like the updates they did divorce they did after 25 years yeah i mean but at the time that wasn't going to happen and i mean the the mob boss also had a lot more control over his life right so you, you're not going to get a divorce cuz she may go and talk to the fbi she might do whatever right people do crazy things when they get out of relationships um so on set robert de niro uh carried $5,000 of real American money. I heard was, about this. Yeah, yeah, yes. that was given to him basically, no, by given, I mean lent to him by like the props department because he didn't like the feel of the fake money. So every time they were like, they cut, they would like, they wouldn't do anything until they counted all the money and they made sure it was all back in hand. And so because of that, um, Lorraine Bracco was like, well, if he gets real money, I want real jewelry. Like, so she's wearing like none of this, none of that's costume jewelry. They like basically went to a jewelry store and like got on loan real, real jewelry. Cause, and actually she was really smart as an actor. Cause what she did is she knew that it would be very easy to kind of like have that character be very secondary. And she was actually concerned that if she didn't really bring it, they may actually just like, she would almost end up on the cutting room floor. 
And now watching that film, you cannot imagine that film without her playing Karen Hill. Like she is such an integral part of that story and the way that Ray Liotta's character like interacts with her. And like, she has these great dramatic moments. Like, I mean, she got nominated for an Academy Award. Like, yeah, like in story wise and pacing wise, like it starts off with his narration. Once she gets involved into the film, she takes over the narration to see the wife side. 100%. Right. So, yeah, like, I don't see how they can make her a secondary character or back, like, like not important at all or cut her out. Right? Yeah, but I think, again, she I think she was worried that if her performance wasn't good and strong, it would be, like, overshadowed. I mean, she's, think of all those people who, think who's on set with you, you know what I mean? Like, De Niro and Pesci and even Ray Liotta and stuff like that. Although he wasn't a huge name at that time. No. Like, Do you know they didn't even want him for the film? And even Scorsese wasn't 100% sure he was going to take him. So they're doing a bunch of, you know, casting sessions. It took like almost a year. And Re- Leota really wanted this role. So him and Scorsese are both at the Venice Film Festival. And Scorsese's got a bunch of security because he had released The Passion of, uh, or The Temptation of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so he has his bodyguards and stuff. And Leota just like rolls up on him and is like, hey, whatever. And so security gets involved. And Martin talks about how calm Ray Liotta was. He like, he didn't, he didn't, he was just like, Hey man, he just like talked his way through it and stuff. And he's like that, that's Henry Hill. Like that's Henry Hill is the, is, is the quiet guy. He's the, he's the watching guy. He's the listening guy. And so just because of that, it was like, yep, bang, that, that was the lock. You know what I mean? Okay. Which I'll give him props. Like he was almost 40 playing a 21 year old. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'll give him props there. Well, I mean, Pesci, Pesci was super old too, right? Like that; those characters would have been in their like twenty, twenty-one, something like that. Why, why you gotta always bring down Joe Pesci, man? Like, first he's not muscular, now he's fucking old. You mean, yeah? You mean he's like, like nothing like the real person in real life? Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, Martin Scorsese did a lot of really interesting stuff as far as his filmmaking technique if you're into french new wave cinema using like lots of like i said jump cuts and non-linear filmmaking techniques uh the very last scene is tommy picking up the newspaper right uh no he's tommy's fire fires a gun oh okay yeah when it starts so that is also the end i believe it's the end scene or yeah i think it's the end scene of the great train robbery and Scorsese specifically wanted that shot to mimic because to him, he was like, it's like the great train robbery. Like it's these guys they are running around, they're doing crime and making money. And the it's, so it's the same final scene and interesting enough. So th- one of the reasons I really like this film is it falls into my kind of like a perfect film category because the casting's great, but it's also got really good use of like contemporary music. So Martin Scorsese, even when he was like writing the screenplay, he had certain like Rolling Stone songs that he's like, I want to use, you know, give me shelter or this or that. And he would not let a song be used that came out after that event would be happening in history. So it had to be equal or older. Right. Mm -hmm. And so the very last song is, uh, I did it my way, which is a Frank Sinatra song. Mm -hmm. And he wanted the Frank Sinatra song, but Frank Sinatra wouldn't let him use it. So they end up using the Sid Vicious. So for those who don't know, he was with the Sex Pistols. So a really, really punky version of that song. So 
it's not exactly what he wanted, but I actually, and I know that people are going to disagree with this statement. I think it's almost better because by this point it's like 1980, you, you know, that whole story arc, you've got like Coke and, and amphetamines and stuff. And so it's like jarring and it's rough and it's not like the smooth, like Frankie Valley kind of music that was the movie starts with in 1950. You know what I mean? True. Yeah. Like I, I never, until you noticed that or said that, fuck. I didn't really notice that through line of the music, right? But now thinking back, like, yeah, it starts with the Frankie Valleys, and then at the end it is, like, hard rock punk. Fuck, Chris, you're so smart. I know. I mean, <laughs> I, 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 I could actually nerd out this my whole – my I could probably nerd out this on a lot more. But, I mean, honestly, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll finish off my statement here. It's like, this is, a, like, a really fantastic movie. It's a great crime movie. It's, it's, it's Scorsese at his best – um, I would say that this and Casino are his two best original gangster films uh, because The Departed is essentially a shot-for-shot remake in some respects. Um, so if you haven't seen it, definitely see this film. Um, and if you have seen it, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I do. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of cut out there. And then, Scott, yeah, like, how did you like that movie? Yeah, like like I said before, like I do like it. Like I appreciate what it what it is for cinema. Um, and also a lot of this movie is what came through in the future, right? Like Donnie Brasco, all the gangster movies, everything's trying to, to be the next Goodfellas in my mind, right? Whether or not that's true or not. I don't know. Even like we mentioned earlier, Sopranos is trying to be Goodfellas, right? And yeah, I do like that movie again, even though I don't worship at the altar of Scorsese, my line, not yours. But yeah, like it's still, it's still a movie that needs to be seen, right? Like it's 30 years old and anybody who hasn't seen it already probably would. And especially if you're in film school, I'm sure it's go- it's something that people are, or profs are making you watch anyways, right? So yeah, I did like that movie, Chris. Thank you for making me watch it again. Um, now go get your fucking shine box. <laughs> yeah, so I'm sure everybody out there is going to have an opinion on that. So, Scott, why don't you give them our our details so they can contact you? Well, that's I- our rant for the day. Yeah. <laughs> if you like what you heard, or even if you didn't, subscribe to this podcast, and we'll try to be better. If you want to express your opinions to us, we can be reached on Twitter at How'd you like that one? Or email at how'd you like that movie at gmail.com. Production by Rod Shaver, Vader Monkey Productions. <laughs>